Mary and I enjoyed Sedona, but it was really hot. We got to the Grand Canyon and it was just, just brutal. They had a great saying. We stayed in Sedona for a week, which is a beautiful town in Arizona, surrounded by red rock. We got to walk up different trails every day. And then we said, you know, we have to check off the bucket list and go to the Grand Canyon. So we drove up to the Grand Canyon. We got there. We walked out. We walked along the Grand Canyon. We saw it all. We said, gee, that looks really great. We ran back to our car and went back to Sedona. There's a saying in Sedona It says, God made the Grand Canyon, and then he moved to Sedona. And that seemed appropriate in our travels during our vacation time. Sedona is this marvelous, marvelous place where the Spirit of God seems to reside in special ways. And you see so much incredible grandeur in all of the mountain structures, the chapels. It was a, a wonderful, wonderful time as we enjoyed ourselves and rejoice in the creation that God has made despite the brokenness of the creation that we lived in. So we're in Romans chapter 8. And after, when I left here, you guys were at chapter 8, verse 1, and you got all the way down to verse 18. So I get the rest of the chapter. So we're going to go... Verse 18 through 36 today. Verse 18 through 36, the end of the chapter of chapter 8 of Romans. We're going to deal with a great deal of issues that Paul kind of pulls together in this 18 verses or so to help us understand our destiny and how God is involved, not just in creating it, but in bringing it to pass on a consistent basis in our lives as we respond to his direction. Now, previously, we learned that God has legally justified us. And it's a statement about a court of law that God has said, you are justified as the Supreme Court of the entire world, as the Supreme Court of all creation and beyond creation, that judge, of which there is only one, God the Father, said, you are justified. You have paid all the penalty that's required for any wrong that you have done. And that penalty was provided by Jesus and his death on the cross. But not only that, he says that we've been personally reconciled with him. That the separation that existed prior to this time between us and God is no longer there. That God has reconciled us through the death of His Son so we can interact with God the Father. And He can interact with us as sons and daughters. Speak to us, guide us, encourage us, lead us. Help us to understand how to deal with life and give us the strength and the power, the ability to deal with life. But then He moves into another area because we all recognize that we struggle with two different natures in our life. And he tries to help us understand that each of us have two natures. One is called a sin nature. And that's the nature that pulls us and pushes us towards division, towards things of our flesh, towards instant pleasure, all these other variety of things that bring about disaster. And we also have another nature, our spirit nature, that pushes us towards unity and pulls us towards an understanding of love and joy and peace and patience. And helps us to grasp how to interact in that special place. And Paul says, we now as Christians have both of these natures. And we must on a consistent basis seek after our spirit nature. And as we do that, we'll interact with God the Father regularly. We'll find His Holy Spirit transforming us on a consistent basis. And we'll find ourselves experiencing God's love and His peace, His patience, His joy. In a consistent way. Now, all of this understanding he's given us now moves to this chapter in which he tries to help us understand that we each have a purpose or a destiny. That God has, for each one of us, set aside a specific intention, a specific desire that he wants us to accomplish. The first purpose, of course, is that we might become more like Jesus. That we might experience his character in our life. But more than that, as we develop that character, 
he puts us in positions so that we can accomplish something significant and make a difference in our world so that God's greater purpose is carried out and more people are brought to him and wholeness is developed into our world and our structure. Paul refers to this as our destiny, as our destiny. It was Mark Twain who made this interesting statement. He said, the two most important days in our life are the day we were born and the day we find out why we were born. The day we were born and the day we find out why we were born. This teaching in Romans 8 is trying to help us understand that God wants you to discover why you were born. Why you are who you are. Why you're made the way you're made. And how it can bring about glory in your life. Romans chapter 8, starting at the verse 18 to 36. Let's read it and I'll make a few comments before we go into the major teaching today. Starting with verse 18, I'm reading from the NLT version, so it's a little different than maybe the NIV that you're in there. Yet, what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that he will reveal to us at a later time. All creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. You see, against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and from decay. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to this present time. And we believers, we also groan. Even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering and decay and disease. And we wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as His adopted children, including the new bodies, oh boy, the new bodies that he has promised us. We were given this hope and we were saved. But if we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, then we must wait patiently but confidently. So we must wait in faith for the day that these full benefits and inheritance of being a child of God will take place. It says God's glory will be revealed in us, through us, toward us. And the suffering we have to deal with now can't be compared to the glory that's to come. There is no comparison. Now, we suffer even as Jesus suffered. But later, we'll be glorified as he was as well. First the families, the ones that we love who die before us, are raised into this special place of life waiting for us. Then, here's the interesting thing. This is the first time in all the scripture I ever caught this because I always looked for it. He says, creation, including the creatures of creation, okay, will be brought back to this place of hope. And it appears to me that he's talking about all the animals as well as creation itself. Everything will be brought to this newest of life. That's why Isaiah talks about the lamb will lie with the who? With the lion. And he's speaking to this issue of suddenly there's fullness of life and all these creatures are back. Now I say this because my little kitty died here recently, little biscuit. And uh, we just... Ah, oh, you know, and I, I'm not a cat lover, but I became one. So we're like, ah. Oh. And I was with Glenn, who's a dog lover as well, you know, Glenn and Ann, and little Sammy. And he, I, I just, I just thought of the joy as you uh, change this new body, and you look, and they're running down, and comes your little pup. And I thought, oh, what, a, what a glory! That can't be compared 
The glory that we're going to find ourselves involved in. All the suffering is forgotten. It's all behind us. As we rejoice and hug our family and our friends. And even, even I think, our loved ones that are four-legged. <laughs> no goldfish. They won't make it. <laughs> it's a great, wonderful picture He goes on to say in verse 26, And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know how God wants us to pray. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with with these groanings. You hear all the groanings going on in here? These groanings that can't be expressed in words. And, And the Father who knows all of our hearts knows exactly what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us. Plead for us believers in harmony with God's own will. Now, I think better would have been, but the Holy Spirit helps us with our weakness. You see, God understands our, our cries and our sighs because the Holy Spirit translates it for him. Because he is here with us. He's here with us. The cry is our inability to articulate, to understand what we should pray for or against I'm in the midst of this situation where uh, Debbie Peake is, is dying, as is the steward's mom. And, and in the midst of this horror, and watching this devastation, this body breaking down, and you find yourself praying, well, should I pray for healing? Or should I pray that God takes her home? See, that's our struggle. We're like, I don't know what to pray for. I don't know what to pray for. And it says the Holy Spirit comes alongside and says, hey, it's okay, I'll take care of this one. You just groan. I'll translate. That's what he's talking about. You see, all of us have a moving away and a moving toward and a moving against response to life and its circumstances and its issues. But the Holy Spirit is striving to make sure that we are responding correctly to the right things. That we're moving towards the right things. That we're moving against the right things. That we're moving away from the right things. You see? The Holy Spirit is striving to make sure that we understand and respond correctly. It goes on in verse 28, this famous verse. And we know that God causes... Everything to work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose for them, his destiny for them. For God knew his people in advance. He chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn, only the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. He wanted a big family. Having chosen them, then he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he then gave them glory or glorification. You see, once we accept the Spirit's using us, despite our ability to understand, then we recognize that we become like Joseph in Genesis. Where at the end of his life, after his father dies, he responds and he says, Although you meant this for evil, God intended it for a far greater good. You see, it's not about me saying, hey, you were bad to me. You were evil towards me. You did wrong towards me. It's about me saying, God, in the midst of this evil, uses this situation to bring about a greater good in my life a purpose and intention of my life. So I find myself able to forgive you, and not only that, but able to release you from any binds or bonding because I go, you know, God is the one who calls it. God's the one who chooses it. God's the one who pulls it together. And therefore, once the deed is done, my response is to say, what does God want to do with it? What does God want to do with it? God's the uncaused cause who continues to move things, to call them into the right position. 
He's the one who changes the pitcher, who's throwing so well, and you're saying, we're going to win this game, and he pulls him, and you go, what are you doing? It's the seventh inning. He's doing great. He's got a no-hitter. And God says, ah, but I have a closer I want to bring in. And Jesus steps up to the mount. Game over. Game over. God is producing, preventing, proclaiming, doing all these incredible, wonderful things. Until our last cry of our cries and sighs is the cry of victory. And we're jumping up and down for joy and yelling and screaming, going, yes, yes, we won. It's over. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. The cries of our destiny being accomplished. All right? That's the size and the cry section. Then in verse 31, he changes his thinking, his, his direction to us, and he talks about these laments and the loss in relationship to love. He says, now what shall we say then about such wonderful things as these? See how God is working and moving and changing to all this stuff? If God is for us, who could ever be against us that makes any difference? He's not saying no one is against us. He's saying anything that's against us doesn't really matter. Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us before God who has chosen us for his own? No one. God himself has given us right standing with himself. We are justified. We are reconciled. And we are glorified. Interesting enough, the term used here means it's already been done. It's already over with. I don't feel glorified. Did anybody here feel glorified? I don't feel glorified. But God says, oh, yeah, but in God's eyes you already are. It's already done. You're just going through the necessary process before you get there. It's a finished thing. You're justified. It's finished. You're reconciled. It's finished. And you are glorified. Who then can condemn us? No one can. For Christ Jesus died for us. He rose to life for us. He's sitting in the right place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. You see, in this courtroom picture, the judge and the district attorney, they're both on our side. They both declare us not guilty. They tell us to go home. The outcome's already done. They say, we'll finish the trial while you're gone. See, our question then becomes, well, okay, if this is true, then, then why is this stuff happening to me still? Why, why do I find myself still struggling with depression? Why do I find myself still dealing with these issues of, of pain and brokenness? Why do I not always do the right thing? What, what's going on here? And he says, well, I don't really think God loves me. I, I think maybe God thinks of me as less than the other guy. Pastor Lee's a great guy, but me? I'm not so great. And he says, oh, you don't understand. Can anything separate you from God's love? Does it mean he no longer loves you if you have trouble or calamity? Or you're persecuted or you're hungry or you're destitute or you're in danger or threatened with death? He says, for your sake, we're being killed all day long. We're being slaughtered like sheep. But despite all these things... Overwhelming victory is God's through Christ who loves us. I'm convinced of this. He said, I understand this. This truth has been embedded in me. Nothing can separate us from God's love. Nothing. Not death. Not life. Not angels or demons. Not fears for today or worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above, or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of Christ, from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, that's the last words of encouragement. They're so simple. He says, just look at the facts of what has happened. Remember what Jesus has done. He did this for you. God sent him for you recognize it, and don't find yourself going off in these series of feelings that are really from your flesh, the sin nature, that doesn't want to admit defeat. Doesn't want to admit defeat. 
Whew. So that sighs and cries. You know, that's moans and groans, you might say. That, that's that, the particular issue and the lament and, and question about God's love. So that's the two issues he's dealing with in relationship to our destiny. Does God love me? Is God involved in, in guiding and directing my life? And he says yes to both of those things. But let's go a little deeper in it, okay? So we're going to talk about this groaning before glory that he talks about in these first sections of verses. He says, we wait for the glory of being God's children to be released in us, to be revealed in us. It's kind of like being in a DMV line. Yeah, I got it. I've been waiting forever. When, is this, when am I going to get there? Am I ever going to get here? That's the picture. It says, we wait The whole earth waits with us. They're groaning. When am I going to get out of this line? When can I get on with my life? That's the groan that's happening. The cries and the sighs. We go through this present sufferings and we groan because we're enduring hurts and pains and corruption and frustration. We're living in a fallen, broken world. But we don't need to be overwhelmed or in despair. He says it's a temporary condition. The whole creation waits in eager anticipation of the change. This creation says it's waiting for the day when Jesus will come because on that day, not only will we, first of all, be revealed as his children and changed into these marvelous new bodies, but it says all of creation will also be changed at that point in time. The trees, the mountains, no more earthquakes, no more floods, no more, no more curse. It's done. It's done away with. There'll be a new heavens and a new earth, but it's really not a new one. It's a restored one. It's restored heavens. It's restored earth. We've been brought back to the place that we were intended to be all along. You see, God subjected this world to a curse. And it says here to encourage us. And I always thought, well, how does that encourage us? Because we see and we recognize the fallen nature of this world and that it corresponds with our fallen nature. He gave us and he gave the creatures and the creation the same promise of deliverance one day. So the creation understands and it says it is groaning. It has this awareness. It's waiting for the glory that's going to come. But suffering doesn't overwhelm us. Because the earth reminds us that the groaning of creation will end and the glory will begin. So the whole earth groans. The creation groans is that first picture. And the second one is our bodies groan. So we've got this other groaning going on. Christians aren't exempt from the consequences of living in a fallen world and in a corrupted body. Has everyone figured that one out? Yeah. Uh, We were up praying with John. said, you have anything to pray for? John Jerzecki said, yeah, pray for me. My, I get these chest pains. I don't know if it's a muscle or if it's my heart again. Last time I thought it was a muscle and it was the heart. Moans and groans, isn't it? Stop your moaning. No, no, that's just reality. We're going to moan and we're going to groan. It's normal. It's understandable. Share your moans. Share your groans so we can pray appropriately for them. You see, the final step of adoption is when we're taken into our new home. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly. We groan inwardly. My body's falling apart. I was hiking up the, up the mountains. I went up to Cathedral Rock. I thought that would be very spiritual. So I thought, I'm going up for the top. My wife looked at me and said something like, I wasn't listening. It was something like, you're crazy. I said, I can do this. I can do this. So I went and I did it. I, I got up. I, I was moving. I got to the top like a mountain goat. I was like, yeah. I got to the top. Yeah. My wife's down at the bottom. She's going, no. And I got back down to the bottom. I said, honey, you could have came up. You could have made it. She said, I'm not going. Are you crazy? The next day I found out why I should not have gone up the mountain. Pain. Oh. Two days. I walk like this. No more mountain goat for this guy. And I thought, okay, I won't go so high next time. I'll just kind of walk around with this stuff here. So I'm walking around. Oh, my knee. Oh. And my knee started. I said, this is not good. 
God, you did something wrong. I'm getting old. We groan and we moan because we desperately want a new body. I would even like my old body 20 years ago. I would take that right now, no problem. God says we're going to get this marvelous, incredible, glorious, immortal body. And right now we have a foretaste of what's to come. We have the first fruit of the Spirit. It's like we've received a small portion or a sample of what lies ahead. It's like watching the preview of a movie coming to a theater near you this summer and you go, wow, that was an incredible preview. The show may be awful, but the preview was great. Or better yet, the one I like, it's like the aroma of baby back ribs. I know it's close to lunch, I'm sorry. I can smell it already. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Jesus. No calories with this one, though. It's great. Thank you. Oh, that's the picture. You have four tastes. He said, we get a little bit of peace. We get a little bit of joy. We get a little bit of love. We find ourselves put in this special place that God wants us to be in. And we experience a foretaste of glory divine. It's, at church, oftentimes we come in here and we're, we're singing, we're thanking the Lord, we're praying, all of a sudden it's like God touches you and, goes, and you go, whoa, that was cool. That's a foretaste. Glory divine. This aha moment. I suddenly get it. Oh, I got it. I got it. I, got, I understand it for a moment. I, I usually forget about three minutes later, you know. But right then it's like, oh, foretaste of glory divine. I get a foretaste. I go, Lord, this is so incredible. See, this foretaste proclaims our future, reminds us the best is yet to come. And when it arrives, our bodies will be redeemed. Our bodies will be redeemed. And we begin to understand that that suffering has a good side, not just a bad side. Our physical bodies are currently not redeemed. They're still in bondage to corruption. And that's why we struggle with sin and we get sick and we experience pain. And guess what? Every one of you here, unless Jesus comes back before it, will die. Every one of you. That will happen unless Jesus comes back before it happens. That's what we're going to experience. And the Bible tells us don't expect to be free from these things. But instead look forward in faith to the day that's coming when you'll be free from these things. If we had or should have have these things now, then we wouldn't need to hope for them, he says. After all, nobody hopes for what he already has. Paul reminds us these desires are the hope or the end result of our salvation. In this hope, we declare our salvation. You don't hope for what you have. Hope always points to what you don't yet possess. Hope that's not seen isn't hope. We don't know then. We don't know when. But we do know He will come back. So when we suffer, we find ourselves forced to look to God. We find ourselves seeking that glory. Crying out for that redemption. And that foretaste... That wonder keeps us moving along. He says we've got to wait for that day patiently, with perseverance and with confidence. You see, the spirit nature is always waiting patiently. Be patient. Spirit nature always says, be patient. Take it easy. Don't push it. Sin nature always says, you've got to go now. You've got to go now. You've got to go now. The sin nature wants it now, immediate. Pleasure, pleasure, pleasure. The spirit nature says, Wait a bit, it'll all come about. Fine wine takes time. The ghetto stuff you can get right now. Right now. The good stuff, the glorious stuff, takes time. Be patient. Don't push for immediate pleasure. Wait patiently. Suffering shouldn't overwhelm us because we have this foretaste of glory divine. One day the groaning will end and the glory will begin. So we see the creation groans and we groan. And it says even the spirit groans. That was interesting to me. The spirit groans. God's Holy Spirit that resides with us groans. You know why? 
Because He resides within you. That's what? And me. He groans. He says, oh, you guys. Oh, you guys. Great things are coming. He says, we don't always even know what to pray for. We don't know what we should be praying for. When we're suffering, we seek God in prayer. We're blinded by our present focus. Oh, God, just set me free. Now. Just get rid of this. Now. He says, but the Spirit looks in our hearts and He translates our heartfelt prayers. He says, God, what He really meant was release Him as soon as possible in accordance with Your purpose. Let Your will be done. That's what He meant to say. I'm speaking for Him. And God says, okay, good. I'll take that. And He responds and listens to the mind of the Spirit. You see, we don't always know our purpose in life, but the Holy Spirit knows exactly what our purpose is in life, and that's why it causes great things to happen. He translates my language into the right words. I was in Nigeria, and in one particular village that I was speaking at, none of the people understood English. So they gave me a translator, the marvelous, marvelous guy, and as we would share together, we had this thing going back and forth and back. And it would just, it was like the Spirit of God was going, it was, it was incredible. And I'm getting all the way done, and I talked to him. I said, did, now, how did you translate that? Did you translate exactly as I said? He said, oh, no, 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 no. I said, what do you mean, no, 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 no? He said, well, did you want them to understand what you said? I said, well, yeah. He said, well, that's how I translate it. So they'd understand what it is you were saying. I understood it, but they wouldn't if I were just done word for word. Oh, Holy Spirit translates, translates for us what our hearts intend to say. Because God has given us this power of prayer that changes things, that prays into being those things that can be Changed. That's why it says, and he moves to verse 28, after he talked about the Holy Spirit doing it, now God causes all things. You see what's happening? The prayer that's said correctly by the power of the Holy Spirit brings God into a causation mode. And then God causes all things to work together for good to those who are called according to His purpose, who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Now you begin to grasp what he's talking about? I go, oh... That's why that works. That's why I have to pray. That's why I need to be in the Oh, yes. God's doing marvelous, incredible things. I watched a cooking show the other day, and uh, they had this marvelous chef, Emeril, and he, he's the host of the cooking show, Emeril Live, you know, and he gets an audience member to come up. Here, come on up, and I'll let you cook this meal. And, and the person starts cooking the meal, and inevitably, they suck at it. They're awful, you know, and you're going, they're wrecking the meal. And they start realizing they're ruining the meal. And Emerald steps in and kind of nicely pushes them off to the side. Does all this stuff and throws that and turns into this incredible, marvelous meal. And see, that's what happens. This is God causes all our stupid things we're doing <laughs> that are wrong. And he goes, okay, too much salt, but I can do this. Too much salt, I can do this. And he pulls it all together and causes it to bring about a good thing, a great purpose, an intentional result that He wants to take place. Holy Spirit's praying for us. No, 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 He doesn't really want that one. We're going, oh, that's what's happening. We know now. We know that God causes all things to work together for good. He's the uncaused cause that causes everything to work together. He leads and He plans and He organizes and He controls all things to work together for good. He has this vision. He's working out for our help and the Holy Spirit's. So these all things include trials and tribulations that we deal with in life. It deals with the persecutions we face as a result of our faith. He's got a vision. Can you say, God has a vision? Say that. God has a vision. One more time. God See, that's the key. Why don't you begin to understand God has a vision for you. You begin to say, oh, okay, Lord, how can I be part of your vision? How can I help that plan to take place? 
And God says, well, I'm in the midst of this thing causing you to bring about a purpose. And the purpose means simply to place something before somebody's mind. Okay? To plan or to resolve something. So when it says God's working a purpose out, His primary purpose was that we might become like Jesus, conform to the image of Jesus. I love 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says, And all of us have had that veil removed that we're looking at in relationship to the law, so that we can be mirrors that brightly reflect the glory of the Lord. And as the Spirit of God works within us, we become more and more like Him and reflect His glory even more. That's the destiny for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. He says, I've called you so you might become this in terms of character. And once you become that in character, then you're able to accomplish the next purpose that I have for you. But until you know how to play, you can't win the game. So he's building our character so that we can accomplish our purpose. God doesn't want us to fail to reach this goal in our lives. It's, it's part of a bigger plan. It provides shalom, wholeness for us. A sense of complete peace because I'm following the plan of God, the vision of God. And so Paul gives this theological insight about God's vision or purpose. He says, now God foreknew you. He foreknew what was going to have happen. Some people say, well, this means that God chose you beforehand, regardless of who you are, what you are. I do not believe, I know that's not what it says here. The term foreknow here or to foreknew means to know ahead of time. It's a simple compound word. It's got two particular Greek words. One means before and the other one means to know. God knew before. Absolutely he knew before. To foreknow something means to know something before it happens. The same exact word is used in 2 Peter 3.17. And he says, since you as believers know that evil teachers are going to come into the church, since you as believers foreknow that... You say, what? That's all? Yeah, that's all. This is talking about God's awareness and knowledge of the fact that you were going to respond to Jesus, that you were going to receive Jesus in your life. God knew it at your birth. He didn't cause it. He didn't choose it. At least not this particular passage doesn't speak to that particular area. He's saying he knew it. In eternity past, God knew you would accept his son. And he was planning to introduce you into his kingdom. So he set up a process and a purpose in that, in that setting. I knew you were going to come in, so then I began to predestine you. Predestination is about God's leading in our life. So foreknew is talking about the idea or the concept of planning. Then predestine is about the idea of leading. Because God knows, he predestines us to be conformed to his image. Those whom God foreknew, he also pre-what? Destined. Predestined. You have a destiny. You have an intentional destiny. God doesn't just plan for us. He leads us into the plans. Come on, Lee. Come on, come on, come on. I'm like, God, I don't want to be a pastor. It's not your calling, Lee. Sorry. You are going to be a pastor. But Lord, I, I'm happy being a janitor. I really don't care what you're happy being, Lee. This is what you're called to be. Really? Are you sure, Lord? Oh, yeah, I'm sure. You've been predestined for this. And there's a lot of other things that I've laid out intentionally in people's lives that you need to interact with so that I can predestine theirs and bring about the correct position there. We're predestined to transformation. We're predestined to transformation. And then secondly, thirdly, he says, he calls us, uh, calls us to something. He calls us. This is about organizing now. Those whom he predestined, he also called. Those who are predestined to glory are those who accept the call and prepare for it. God determined beforehand those who accept Jesus and are conformed to his image would have a resurrection body. And we have to work out our calling presently. See, God has a vision for us. It moves all the way down through each of these areas, all the way to glorification. He justifies us. We always talk about justification. But this is the control of God. The control of God. Being justified means we're declared not guilty. God predestined you into that particular position. Now he justifies you and he glorifies you, which is the bottom line. In fact, this word for glorification actually means he already has glorified you. 
So all those who are called by him, all those who have been foreknown, all those who have been predestined, all those people, God already sees your end and he says, you've already been glorified. It's just you have all this stuff in between hand that I want you to accomplish before I have a purpose for you. Please accomplish the purpose I called you for. That is where you get to choose. That is where you get to choose. Now, who predestined us to become like Jesus? God, exactly. Who called us into relationship with him through Jesus? God did, yeah. Who justified us and made us holy and acceptable to him? God did, yeah. Who can we count on to make it complete his work of bringing us to the point of being glorified? God. You see, the issue here becomes what Paul is trying to say is despite the fact that you're broken, I can put you back together for a period of time until that point in time when I want to glorify you. I got this little pot here. It's kind of fun. See, in this pot, it looks pretty good until you turn it all the way around and you go, man, I guess it's not so good. And this is a picture of us. And God is saying, well, for now what I'm going to do is I'm going to put you together. Lee does a lousy job of it. Okay. Come on, baby. Get in there. Yeah. Okay, we've got a little one there. If I had some glue, I could even do better. Holy Spirit glue would work. And he puts us back together. And we become a, a pot that can be used by God, a vessel for God's use. And he says, I'll hold you together until that final day. And then I'm going to give you a brand new body. And that's the picture of accomplishing the purpose and the intention of God. You see, God desires for us to be used by him for a specific purpose. And one day our groaning will end and the glory will begin. You see, glory is the ultimate result of our groaning. Glory is the ultimate result of our groaning. And But Paul, I'm like, boy, Paul, that was great. You can stop now. That's what I thought. Wow, you, can, you got me? That's enough. Enough. You got me. And he says, oh, I just want to say one last thing. And this is what he says. I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, God loves you. God loves you. That's where Paul ends it. He says, God is for you. God loves you. There's no longer any loss. Before God loved you, you had nothing but loss. Now that God loves you, you will have no loss at all. In the midst of our struggle and pain, we feel ourselves always, if we let ourselves feel it, lost. Lost. We recognize who God is. We have His Spirit within us. But when death comes prematurely, when death invades us, and someone whom we love closely is grabbed by death, we feel what? Loss. We feel lost. We're like, Lord, Lord, I need you. Please come close. There's a wonderful movie out that speaks to this issue and what had happened within the midst of it's a true story. A young man was killed prematurely. He was an amazing athlete, a wonderful person, great character. But he was in the wrong place at the wrong time, perhaps. And he was killed. But the result of his death brought about an incredible purpose that would cause most of us to believe perhaps that was his destiny. But regardless, we still have to deal with the feeling that we're lost. Let's watch this clip. You'll experience that. You will not get away from that sense. It's not going to happen. But what you also will get is a sense of, I am found. I am found. I have purpose. I have a calling. 
I am predestined. I am being transformed. And the wonder and the glory of God is here changing us as we allow the Holy Spirit to pray for us and to bring about that transformation. Someone has said success is on the same road as failure. It's just farther down the road. It's just farther down the road. How do I know God is for me, that God will not change his mind and and forsake me? How do I know that God won't look at me and see all my failures and reject me? He says, if God did not spare his own son, but he gave him up for us all, won't he graciously also give you everything? God went to all these sacrifices for you. He will never, ever forsake you. I got, I got a five-dog bell here. Here, let me get over here. Now, it's kind of crumbled. Do you want that? It's kind of crumbled. Would you take that? Maybe, maybe not. Here, I'll, uh, you know. There, that's it. Still want? Yeah, okay. Here you go. Now, I want you to know something. Despite being stomped on and kicked around and crumbled, the $5 bill didn't lose any value. And you don't either. Your value in the sight of God has nothing to do with your failures or your foibles. It has nothing to do with the mess-ups. God loves you because you are valuable to Him. And you never lose your worth to Him. You see, God is even the author of our struggles He even knows when I'm going to fail. And yet he still allows me to come into that situation because he says, Lee, you must fail because farther down the road you'll gain success. But you're on the right road. You're on the right road. And then the imagery changes to have a courtroom and a judge with Jesus and the Father there. And there are your close friends who love you deeply, whom you know you've been justified totally for, and you've been brought in for this trial. And as you walk in the door, you see it's God, my Father, and Jesus is the DA. And I go, dude, I won. I won. This is cool. God says, yeah, you can go home. I got this handled. I got this handled. And as we turn around and walk out the door, our entire body is changed, and we're glorified. Immortal body, just like Jesus. We can never be separated from God. We've been justified. We've been reconciled. And now we are glorified. It's God who justifies. Who can condemn the trials over? What are you talking for? Yap, yap, yap. Satan, you're just talking. Flesh, you're just talking. You mean nothing. It's over. I've been justified. I've been reconciled. And now I'll be glorified. Worship team, come on up. As we close this thing up today, and you guys are going to take an offering, and you're going to write down some prayer requests, got all that stuff's going to happen now in the next few minutes. I want you to think about what it is that God is saying. And listen to the lyrics to the song as you write down the words of your heart for these prayers. As you set aside this check that says, Lord, I love you and I want to honor you and I want to, want to see your kingdom grow and develop. And we begin to understand that, that you see, God's revealed love to us is, is, is the ultimate reason. It's the ultimate result of our, of our destiny. God wants you to see how much he loves you. He's glorified you. He's put you in this wonderful place. Even now, he says, hey, you have nothing to worry about. My love for you is final and forever. It will never, ever change. I got a vision for you. I got a vision. I'm planning things out. I'm going to lead you into it. I'm going to organize things together. And I'm going to control all these things so that you'll find yourself quoting that verse over and over and over again about God's purpose, about your calling, about God's desire.
that He's working. He's causing all things to work together for good. Because you love Him. And you've been called for a purpose. That's our destiny. And that's Romans 8, verses 18 through 36. If God's for us, wow, who cares is against us? God is here. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We recognize that you are a God who sees our sin. And you don't just act as if it's not there, but that you sent your Son to take care of this, to take care of our penalty, to cleanse us from our sin, to make us white, snow, no longer red with anything but your blood as it covers over us and cleanses us from sin. We admit we're sinners. And we come to you as our Savior and we say, Lord Jesus, save me. Rescue me. Cleanse me. Cleanse my heart. Be my Savior this day. Lord, that's my request. I want to make you Lord. I confess you are Lord of all and I want you to be Lord of me. Guide my life. Let me see my destiny. Let me be part of the vision you have for me. Lord, I know you planned it out. I know you're leading and organizing and controlling, and I don't want to be fighting it. I want to be part of it. Lord, that's my prayer. May the Holy Spirit make it clear. Make me yours. Use me that I might experience glory. Even here, a foretaste until that day when I'll experience it completely with you. Thank you. For that, we give you our offerings. We cry out with our prayers because you are God.